0: Hey, thanks for listening to our Life Church Utah podcast. We exist to lead the people of the valley to be more like Jesus. We are located here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and you can check us out online at lifechurchutah.com. Well, good morning, Life Church. From one. It is uh, really good to see each one of you uh, this morning and uh, just grateful. That you would take the opportunity to be here among us and uh, celebrate with us. Those of you who are watching us online, we are in person. I think it's it's strange to me that uh, from time to time we hear from somebody who goes, "I didn't know you were meeting in person." And uh, we've been meeting in person now for just about a year and three months. So, if you are uh, watching online and you're wondering if we're meeting in person, we are in person, and uh, it's really great to have you, though, as well online with us for those who are unable to be uh, with us in person. So, including my mom. So, um, all right. So, who is it that you look up to in faith? Who is it that the you know who's the person or people or group of people that you look up to in your life when you go? you know what? When I, when I grow up, I want to be like them, right? Do you have anybody like that? Raise your hand real quick if you've got somebody, uh, somebody like that. All right, raise your hand. All right, great. Now, uh, not everybody does have someone like that. And so um, I, I really do count it a joy when, when uh, we do have someone or a group of people that we can look up to. And uh, they begin to answer the question for us, what does it mean to be Christian? When we look to somebody and you, you go, wow, they have a relationship with Jesus that, and, you know, envy is a bad thing, right? You know that? But you say, hey, I I'm envious of the relationship that they have with Jesus. I want that relationship with Jesus. And there's a few people in my life just... Real quick, and to share with you uh, a couple of them. Uh, one of them, the first one, I think many of you have been a part of Life Church for many years uh, will know this name, Jim Ayers. Uh, he was the former pastor here at uh, at now Life Church Utah. And uh, yeah, amen, right? Great pastor. It was his influence in my life when I was about, well, I mean, up through like 12 years old on up through my uh, teen years graduating high school 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 here in the Salt Lake Lake Valley Valley when when he was pastor at Mountain Mountain View. 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 (laughs) Um, Um, And uh, it was his influence in my life that led me to ministry. Um, He was the one who, you know, I had gone to camp and, you know, I really felt like God was doing something, but he confirmed it in my life and poured into my life and helped me understand uh, that, hey, this would be a good thing for you to do, Rich. Why don't you explore this and work towards this in your life? And so uh, he really was somebody that encouraged me to step out in faith and to not settle. Uh, I was on my way to the University of Utah, which is fantastic uh, institute of higher learning, right? Um, But uh, God had other plans for me in my life and uh, no longer was biochemical engineering going to be the thing I wanted to do, but now it's all about Jesus, right? So, uh, so for me, that was the road. Now, another person at Mountain View, um, and some of you might know this name, uh, Lori Halderson, and uh, she was a youth leader there at Mountain View at a really pivotal moment in my life uh, where, um, boy, I was making some big decisions. My family was falling apart, and then she, uh, the, the youth pastor that we had there had made some very unwise choices and ended up uh, leaving the ministry, leaving the church. And then Lori, as one of the volunteer leaders, stepped in to lead. And when she stepped in, uh, she pulled certain teens with her to help out in the, in the youth ministry. And that was about the time that I was getting my life right with Christ. And uh, she noticed something in me that nobody else saw, I didn't see, um, and uh, pulled me in there in the youth ministry. And so I'm grateful for Lori and her influence in my life Um, that really invited me to experience Jesus in a new way um, as just a young teenager. Uh, Another guy by the name of Lloyd Ziegler, um, he was a director of a program called Master's Commission right after I graduated from high school. Um, It was him who uh, just kind of put the the pedal to the metal. Do you have people like that in your life that say, we're not going to wait any longer, we're just going to go do do you have people like that in your life that just say, hey, it doesn't matter, we're going to do it, and we'll figure out the cost later, okay? That's kind of what it was in ministry, that one-year training, it was just, let's go see what Jesus can do uh, through the lives of, at that time, it was like 25 or 30 college-age students just in love with Jesus, and let's just go do radical things, and uh, missions trips, and uh, visiting in the jails, and doing kids' ministry on the streets in uh, Phoenix, Arizona, and it was just so transformational uh, for me, and I really Look up uh, to Lloyd Ziegler and all that uh, he poured out in my life. Another uh, gentleman uh, in my life, who I knew for just for a number of years, his name is Carrie Puckett. Uh, that was my wife's, uh, my wife Shelley. Uh, it was her uh, grandfather. And he was the pastor at the same church for about 50 years at the same church. And the church grew through all those years in a very small town. It was like the church to be at in a town of like 10,000. They had, you know, eight, 900 people attending. And so it was very, very influential. And so her grandfather was the pastor there. Um, he showed us unconditional love. He showed us just a genuine heart for prayer. You know, somebody like this, okay, this, when he would pray about stuff, can I, can I tell you how he prayed? This is how he prayed. He would, he would like kneel down at the altar or be in his car, or wherever he was, because he would pray, as the Bible says, pray continually. And this is what he would pray. Jesus, 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 Jesus. I mean, that was, that was like, I mean, that was it. There was a lot going on in the Spirit, right? But that is what you heard was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time. And he so relied on Jesus for everything. And it was so beautiful to see that in his life, this unwavering confidence in Jesus. And then obviously... Um, My wife, she encourages me uh, really like no one else. We've been married, uh, it'll be 30 years this coming May. And uh, she knows me best, and yet she still loves me. And. She's the heart of a servant, uh, wanting to give her best to everything she can, even in the tougher times, she loves and she never gives up, and I'm so grateful for that. And there's so much faith, right, that is shared uh, between husband and wife as spouses that uh, there are times when we just cry together and times we uh, storm heaven together, times we're praying late at night, early, whatever that is, right, and I so look up uh, to her as someone who deeply uh, impacts me. Um, and uh, she's a good cook, so that's always uh, very, very helpful. <laughs> and then there's my mom and my in-laws and uh, outlaws, right, and, and all these other people who have uh, impacted my life and have encouraged me in my faith, and I am hopeful that you also have people like that that are in your life, because there's something powerful about that something powerful about somebody who's able to, to come alongside of you in a, in a season or a time that you are... Um, have you ever gone through doubts about your Christian faith? Raise your hand real quick, because my hand's raised, right? You know, that's, that's part of this journey, folks, just so you know. So I'm going to tell you, if you have doubts, right, it's, it's okay press in to those doubts and say, okay, God, you're big enough to understand my questions. And so help me through this. And Lord, by the way, I don't want to do this alone. So bring people alongside of me. They're going to help me in my Christian faith uh, when I doubt. So that's a little side. I don't have that in my notes. Um, But we treasure the influences in our life even more because um, they challenge us when we're weak. And then also the great thing is, is we can reciprocate that because there are times when we are strong And they are weak. And we have the opportunity to pour into their lives as well. Because there's something that happens when we are in community of faith. And I know I've shared this before, but when we come here on a Sunday morning and we worship together and we, you know, for some of you, you lift your hands and you lift them boldly. Others of you, you clap loudly. You know, others of you sing on key. Some of you off key. Doesn't really matter, right? when we gather together, something happens within this space that otherwise would not happen, and that is that. Um, that just like those who influence our lives, we can be an influence on those who are sitting right next to us right? Because I don't know the burdens that you carry when you come into this room. I I really don't. I don't know. I know some of you, I know some of the burdens that you carry and some of the difficult things and uh, the the heartache of loss or uh, sickness or things going on in your home, a prodigal son or daughter, right? So I know some of those stories, but I know that those are amplified all over this place. And then our second service and then Espanol and then Tooele. So those burdens are very, very real. But some of you also are coming into here having had one of the greatest miracles in your life happen this past week and you are sitting right next to or you are near somebody for whom this has been the most tragic week of their life. And together something happens when we are a community of faith. and That's why it's so important to be present because you never know what you are going to bring to the table on any given Sunday. When you come in here, you give something of yourself to those who are around you. Um, and so throughout this message uh, this morning, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to be thinking about those people who have influenced your life. There might be something you can do at the end of this, uh, this message that's going to be very practical. Um, others of you, if you don't have those kind of people in your life, during the message, I'm going give to you, give you permission to not pay attention to another word that I say. <laughs> Right? Because what I want you to do is, under your breath, in between breaths, whatever it is, just say, God, bring these kind of people into my life. Because, Lord, I need them right now. Even if you are doing well in your faith, you still need people around you that are going to be a blessing. Um, so as Paul uh, addresses this young Roman church, we found out all about it last week, and remember this is like 16 years old, maybe about tw- actually 20 years old now, when Paul is finally uh, writing this letter to this, to this young Roman church, and they're trying to figure it all out. He gives his great introduction, and then he gets to this next segment here, um, where he is uh, kind of outlining the importance of the influences within our life. Uh, growing up in high school, actually junior high, um, I had somebody that was not a great influence on my life. Anybody have anyone like that? (laughs) Right. And uh, yeah, and I I would, so I'll just call him Brad. Well, that's his actual name, so it's not like I'm, (laughs) right. Um, And, uh, you know, he and I would get into trouble Just that influence in my life that I willingly allowed into my life, that I actually embraced in my life at that time, not realizing the consequences that were in store for me uh, down the road. So we have these influences in our life, both good and bad. And in this young Roman church, what are the influences on their life, both good and bad? And uh, so Paul is recognizing the value that they are bringing, not only to themselves, right, just in the church, but there was something else going on that was much bigger than them. And so Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 8. If you guys have your Bibles, again, I want to encourage you, uh, make sure you have your Bibles, make sure you've got your smart devices, whatever it is. I want you reading the Word so that you know the Word for yourselves and don't just take my Word for it. So verse 8, he says, first of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, Because your faith is proclaimed throughout the whole world. So there's something about this Roman church that Paul has heard about and is now almost in a weird sort of way, almost envious of this story. Like what is the basis for the story that your faith is now being told around the world? For God, whom I serve in my spirit by preaching the gospel of his son is my witness, that I continually remember you and I always ask in my prayers, if perhaps now, at last, I may succeed in visiting you according to the will of God. So Paul has a longing. he wants to go visit this church. He wants to be a part of it, see for himself what this church is like. Their story of faith is being told really as a model for other churches, and people would say, "Hey, you want to know a good church? That church that's about a six weeks journey by boat. <laughs> right? That church is a good church in Rome. You should go visit it sometime, right? That, that they hear the stories and, the, and that the news that passes very slowly back then, people heard about this church. Look at what the church in Rome is doing. How awesome is that? So Paul wanted to go for himself and see with his own eyes what that church uh, was like. And um, seeing with your own eyes is important. Right, I mean, just because you get to verify it and make sure that it's okay and all that stuff. So, um, we in our uh, life group last Sunday, uh, we were sitting around and we were talking about our summers. And the question was, you know, what what are you proud of for this summer? What did you do this summer? And and just had a great great conversation. Well, one of the couples that's in our life group, uh, they visited both Yellowstone and the Grand Canyon during the summer. And so they had this whole swing of you know, got Yellowstone, all the craziness there, and then you got uh, the Grand Canyon. And we're like, okay. Which is the best? Which was, which was the best out of the two? And they, they think about it for a minute. And then the husband, he, his name is Chris. He goes, well, the Grand Canyon's just a big hole in the ground. <laughs> he said, so once you've seen it, you've seen, you know, different angles of a hole in the ground. And so for him, Yellowstone was kind of the thing. It was like, I wanted to see with my own eyes. He said, I saw with my own eyes, both of them. And I choose Yellowstone. All right. Has anybody ever been to the Grand Canyon? It's beautiful, right? I mean, it is, it is stunning, but it is a hole in the ground. So anyway, um, <laughs> right? So, so when you try to describe the Grand Canyon or you try to describe Yellowstone, we, we end up not being able to do it justice because you need to see with your own eyes. And this is what was going on in Paul's own heart. He's like, I've heard about you. I've heard stories about you, but I want to see with my own eyes. I want to be there with you. Because there's a very important thing that's going to happen. Uh, Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 11 now. He says, for I long to see you. And I I love Paul. Um, Do you ever put your foot in your mouth? Anybody have a spouse that does that? (laughs) No, don't answer that. We do have a marriage class midweek, by the way. It might be helpful for you uh, if you answer that question. Um, He says this, for I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is that we may be mutually comforted by one another's faith, both yours and mine. And here's the, really the heart of the matter as Paul begins talking to this Roman church. In um, the first statement that he says, I, I, that's why I laughed at it, because this is Paul, you know, he's got somebody probably writing this for him. And so as he writes it down, parchment is very expensive. Um, and so they're not going to just, and they don't really have like an eraser, like erasable pens. They don't have anything like that. And so, you know, once you write it down, you're kind of stuck with it. Even if it's early on in the parchment, you don't want to, you know, throw that away because again, it's expensive. And so he says this, he goes, I want to see you. Because I've got something that I want to tell you. I've got some strength that I'm going to give to you, church. Do you know somebody like that? I've got all the answers. I've got it all figured out. I've got these spiritual gifts that I just want to bless you with. I've got all this stuff that I just want to just throw up on you because the Spirit of God is so at work within my life, right? That's kind of what it sounds like as Paul is writing this. And it's almost like mid-sentence he realizes, oh, um... This doesn't come across exactly as I want it to come across. And so he adds this word, that is, in there. And that's almost the way in Greek, it's almost like a correction for what he just said, because he realizes this might be misconstrued. And so then he goes on, that is that we may be mutually comforted by one another's faith, both yours and mine. And I believe Paul means it, right? Paul is saying, it's not just about me and something that I can give to you. Now, remember, Paul is a radical transformer of society through Jesus Christ. I mean, he is radical as radical can be. He's planting churches everywhere he goes. So there is something to the statement that he's got something to offer to this young church. But Paul also recognizes through the years that he's been a follower of Christ, that others also have something to offer into his own life. And this is a key part uh, of Romans. Romans this idea of mutual comfort or mutual strength or mutual encouragement. There's something that I have that can be an encouragement to you and there's something that you have that can be an encouragement to me. That otherwise, if I wasn't within the family of God like this that I would never experience. And again, that's why it's so important for us to be together. And Paul is not coming to Rome as the big shot, having it all figured out and all perfect. He's ready to receive as well from these brothers and sisters in Christ in this young church at Rome. Now the word that is there, um, it's a good Greek word, it's uh, simparakaleo. That's a good Greek word, right? You're going to go home and say, yes, I learned a Greek word today, simparakaleo. And it actually is, is within there is this idea, and for those of you who've been around the church for, uh, for a while, I'm going to say this word, parakletos. And that is not the parakeet. okay? The para, paraklete, which means the one who comes alongside the comforter or the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, right? This is the one, this is, this, is, this is how the Holy Spirit is described. And what Paul does is he takes kind of that idea and says, in essence, that there is, a, there is a mutual comforting that happens because we come alongside one another. This is one of the very, very few times that this word is used in Scripture. So for Paul, this was also to come alongside with purpose. It was not happenstance. It was not like he's going into this going, "Eh, I'm not real sure what's going to happen, but, you know, just show up and see what happens. That's not at all the point. Paul recognizes in his own life that he has strength. There's nothing wrong with that, folks. Nothing wrong to recognize that you have strength in your life. And he recognized that there was strength in that church that he was going to visit. And he said, we're going to come alongside of each other and we're going to be a blessing to one another. So he writes uh, uh, in another letter to another church, this time the church in Thessalonica. And he says, uh, he says this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. All right, so Paul is looking at another church in Thessalonica and saying, this principle of coming alongside of one another, of encouraging one another, this is what the church does best. Let me say this. This is what the church should do best, (laughs) right? That when you come and be a part of the family of God, when you come together, that there should be something of encouragement that you do not get anywhere else in the world except from here. Hopefully, it's not a drudgery to come to church on a Sunday morning. Now, I know I've, I've... Stayed up way too late on some Saturday nights, right? And you wake up in the morning, and for me, the alarm goes off about 6.30, and I'm like, oh, Jesus, I'm going to call in sick today. Pastor John will fill in for me. It's going to be fantastic. (laughs) Never done that, (laughs) right? And so sometimes you're like, oh, Jesus. But there is something about, again, being together with believers that transforms us. Um. Now, in that, the context of Thessalonians, he had just been telling the church that, uh, that, that we are living in the end times. Now, this is back, remember, this is, you know, uh, 1900 and like seventy years ago when this was written. And uh, he was saying, there is an end times and it's coming and you need to be ready for it. And in the context of all of that craziness, you need to encourage one another just as in fact you are doing it. Quick aside here, are we living in the end times? Paul felt like in the New Testament and believed wholeheartedly, and the disciples, I think, believed that Jesus was going to return in their lifetime. A lot of the language that they are using in, uh, in the New Testament kind of reveals that heart of expectancy, like any day, any moment Jesus would return because the end times began really, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That changed everything in this timeline. And yet we look back now in scriptures and we realize, oh, there's some other things that seem like need to be fulfilled and seem like they need to be uh, kind of uh, put into position uh, politically or world history-wise or whatever it is. But the point is that we are living in the end times. So when is Jesus going to return? tomorrow. Right? Right? Yeah. yay, Right. I mean, th- there is that sense within us in a growing hunger. I don't know if that's the right word for it, saying, okay, Jesus, we're ready, Father, for you to release your son to return back to, back to earth physically so that uh, the next phase of what we believe history is going to look like can begin. We can't wait for that time when Jesus will be crowned King of kings and Lord of lords for the final time. However, in the meantime, it's not a time to be mean. Let me say that again. In the meantime, while we are waiting, this is not a time to be mean. We still need to lead with love. We still need to lead with the knowledge that what we do now matters, that what we say matters and how we say it. Paul would say the same thing to us. Since the time is short, encourage one another and build each other up. Are you doing that? Right. This is all part of that whole encouragement thing, right? Are you actually doing that? You know where I'm going next. Do the words that you speak in social media reflect The fact that Jesus loves you, that Jesus loves the neighbor that you disagree with, that Jesus died for them. Folks, what we say matters. You can go back on Twitter and delete it. It's still there. You can go back on Instagram and take that Instagram post back, but it is still there. And the damage has already been done. So, my encouragement to you as we do live in these end times. We know Jesus is returning. The political statement that you so want to make on your social media, can I encourage you? Let that die and let Jesus rise to the top, please. We have such a huge responsibility as the people of God to lead people to Jesus and not to a political party, not to a political whatever, not to, you know what I'm saying, folks? So please, uh, let's do something in the kingdom of God constructive in the way that we interact with the world around us. It's not to say we can't have opinions, but it's how we share those opinions that matters so much for us. So are we building up? Are we seeking unity or, or are we in the process of tearing down? All right. So again, he speaks of the church in Thessalonica, same sort of idea here. Um, Verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 7. So in all of our distress and affliction, uh, we were reassured about you, brothers and sisters, through your faith. For now we are alive again. Have you ever thought about that? Through other people's faith? It's almost like Paul was rejuvenated in his own faith and he becomes alive again because of other people's faith. Um, for we are now alive again. If you stand firm in the Lord, for how can we thank God enough for you for all the joy we feel because of you before our God? We pray earnestly night and day to see you in person and to make up uh, what may be lacking in your faith. There's this idea that these people are pouring into Paul simply by having faith in Jesus Christ. There's something encouraging about that. So are we encouraging the world? In the times of trouble, right, it is all the more important for us to recognize our influence on the lives of others around us including those who don't know Jesus. We have that responsibility. I believe first and foremost to this body, right? We, 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 um, uh, we are those people who produce faith and live faith, so it's an encouragement to others. But the same thing for my neighbors who don't know Jesus. I should live a life in such a way that, it's, that it encourages them toward Christ, not away from. Because you are part of my strength. You are part of what it means to be Christian in my life because of what you show me, the grace that you extend, the way that you live your lives, the way that you handle a problem. And you know, from time to time, I might hear about the way somebody handled an issue and I'm like, oh my goodness, that is a fantastic way to do that. I wanna put that into action in my own life. Um, So how do we do this? Are you coming alongside of people? To bless them and encourage them. A couple of very practical ways uh, serving at Life Church is one way, or serving within the kingdom of God. I don't want to limit it just to Life Church, right? But serving, I'm going to encourage you, right? Be an usher, help out in the coffee shop, uh, be one of our greeters, whatever. There's something that happens. Your faith grows when you serve. I really believe that. We're going to get to that way into uh, uh, Romans chapter 12. You have a lot to look forward to right before we get there. Uh, But there is something about serving in the kingdom of God. Uh, Being a part of a life group or being a part of midweek, uh, being faithful on Sundays, praying with friends of just saying, I'm going to pray with you. Why don't you stop and pray with them? You ever done that before? When you say, and it's a very Christian thing to say, right? Hey, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sister. Um, I'll, I'll pray for you. But have you ever surprised somebody and you stop and say, why don't we pray right now? Because I don't know about you. There's a lot of times I forget to pray for that person. I don't want to be a liar, <laughs> right? I want to be able to do it. So I encourage you, instead of just saying, I'm going to pray for you, why don't you just stop what you're doing and pray for them? You never know how God's gonna use that moment to transform their life as well. Um, Continue on to Romans chapter one, verse 14. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I often intended to come to you and it's prevented until now. So Paul said, I wanted to come to you, wasn't able to, but now it looks like it's all gonna open up and be able to get there. So that I may have some fruit among, uh, even among you, just as I've already had among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Thus, I am eager also to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. As Paul is wrapping up this part of of the letter to this young uh, Roman church, He's recognizing that in his own life, the good things, the bad things, the good influences, the bad influence, the Greeks, the barbarians, the barbarians are the people that you didn't want to have influence your life, right? That's kind of the way it was. You know, all of these people have worked together to somehow conspire to make me who I am. And Paul says, because of that, and now the faith that's in my life, I'm ready to proclaim the gospel of Christ among you, just like I'm ready to receive from you something that I'm missing in my own faith. That obedient faith can be pictured in many ways. In uh, the Second World War, there was a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and many of you are aware of that name, and I encourage you, great. uh, Eric Metaxas has a great uh, book called Dietrich Bonhoeffer. but I encourage you, if you want to read a fantastic one, go ahead and read that one. Um, so, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had the opportunity to escape Nazi Germany. He was a pastor and he was a speaker and kind of well known at the time. And he had been given offers to go to the United States, which he actually took up and came to the United States. But something would not let him leave Germany. And so, uh, there's something in his heart, and he goes back to Germany, knowing full well that he's going back to a very, very uh, difficult circumstance. The church in Germany had abdicated uh, any sort of authority of Christ, had given up on uh, really proclaiming Jesus as the only way, and he goes back there to try to bring uh, correction to that. And his faith um, and desire for the people to know the gospel of Christ, he proclaimed this life of faith that he had found in Jesus. Began to transform other peop- uh, others' lives and, and uh, be working there among the churches in, um, in Germany. And his faith and desire for the people to know the gospel, he proclaimed, uh, he proclaimed Jesus to those who would listen. Uh, in the book, uh, Dominion, by the author of Tom Holland, not Spider-Man Tom Holland, a very different uh, Tom Holland, um, he points out something really powerful about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and how Dietrich uh, viewed his role or the role of the church in society. And this is what he said. Uh, Did the church, as a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, or as a pastor named Dietrich Bonhoeffer had put it as early as 1933, did the church have an unconditional obligation toward the victims of any social order, even where those victims do not belong to Christian community? Or did the church not have an obligation to those who weren't followers of Christ? Bonhoeffer's own answer to that question would see him conspire against Hitler's life and end up being hanged in a concentration camp because he believed that the message of Christ was not just for the church, but it was for those who were far away from Christ. And he was willing to do whatever it took to get Jesus, to get Jesus into the highways and the byways. For Dietrich as a pastor, for Paul as an early church leader, and for us individually, we must be people of encouragement to build up faith, to reveal Jesus to the world around us. As uh, Craig Groeschel says in his book, uh, Divine Direction, there may not be a more valuable gesture one friend can make to another than pointing them towards God, encouraging them to seek his power, loving them toward God's unending strength. And that unending strength is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. So how do we respond to this today? Have you been thinking about that individual or maybe even a group of people? Here's what I wanna encourage you to do And you might think this is a little bit strange, but I'm gonna ask you to do a little bit of homework this week. You ready for this? I'm ready for it because I'm gonna do the same thing. Um, I'm not gonna ask you to do something I'm I'm not willing to do, okay? I'm gonna ask you to write a New Testament letter to someone who has influenced your life. And there are four parts to it. You ready for this? And so if you've got some way to take notes on this, I'm gonna encourage you to actually write a letter or an email or the text would be difficult because this would be a little bit much for a text. You'd have like 37 of them. And if you're an iPhone and they've got a, um, an Android and you put a thumbs up and then it just makes it longer and that's a real problem. So, um, so here's what I'm asking you to do, right? I want you to write a letter, somehow, some way, get this into the hands of somebody that's been an influence on your life. This is what it is. Number one. Tell them that you thank God for them and their influence on your life, right? This is exactly the the model that, that Paul is using here. He's like, man, I thank God for you and this, and I thank God for the influence that you have on my life. Now, sometimes that can just be a cheesy compliment, right? When somebody just gives you a compliment but doesn't have any teeth behind it. So put some teeth behind it. Identify one or two traits that give evidence of God's grace in their life. Say this, this is how I see God's grace in your life, right? You've been an influence on my life. I love, I love this grace that you've extended to me. Here is what it looks like in your own life. Number three, share a biblical truth, a promise that speaks to their present situation. Maybe you know that this individual is, that, that's been an influence on your life, maybe they're struggling right now. And you would say, here's something that the Bible says that's gonna be important for you. I just wanna be a blessing back to you because the word of God is so powerful, right? I wanna share with you something that God's laid in my heart. And Then the last one is share how they contribute to the overall health and growth of the church or yourself. Say, and here's another way that you just pour into my life and I am so grateful for what you do. That's a New Testament letter. This is exactly what Paul's doing in Romans, in Corinthians, right? In Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. This is what he is doing. He's writing these letters, kind of the same sort of model, encouraging just like he is being encouraged himself. Now, for those of you who are in a position where you say, I don't have someone like that. This week, I want you to take time to pray specifically that God will bring into your life someone who's like that and say, God, you know, I need them. Lord, you know that I'm in a position where I'm a little bit desperate right now and I need someone to pour into my life because I need the strength that they can offer to me that right now I don't have. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet as we close out. And so, Father, I'm grateful for this morning because God, practically, your word comes alive to us when we have a response that we can give where now we are going to truly be an encouragement. God, we're not just going to say things, but God, we're actually going to uh, going to do something to act upon it and to be a blessing, God. Lord, just like Paul said to the church, he's he's ready and willing to give of himself of the strength that you have poured into his life to those maybe who need strength. But God, he also turns that around and realizes that God, he himself is in need of the encouragement of others to come alongside of him to mutually encourage one another in this thing called Christian faith. And so God, as we answer this question, what does it mean to be Christian? Lord, this is part of it. God, that mutual encouragement, that mutual comfort, that mutual hope that we can give to one another that happens in no other way except within the family of God. And so Lord, help us to remember this week to be able to write these letters or these emails or send that encouraging note, whatever that looks like, God, that we would take the opportunity and that God, I believe that you're going to have incredible fruit during this week as we follow through on what your word is asking us to do. So God, we give you all of the glory, all of the praise, all of the honor. And Lord, thank you for these, your people. And God, as you've called us to lead the people of the valley to be more like you, God, help us to show that through our intentional love of others. And God, today, that intentional love of others looks a lot like a letter or a note or an email or something sent to those right now who this encouragement uh, would truly be transformational for them. So Father, we present ourselves to you. We give you again our lives and we thank you in advance of your gospel being proclaimed more profoundly through what we do, Lord. Father, we love you. We praise you. And God, we give you all the glory. In Jesus' wonderful name we pray. Amen, amen. So, uh, so next week, we're gonna be talking about the power of the gospel of Christ in Romans uh, chapter one, verse like 17, 18, right there. Um, and uh, get ready because I really believe that God's gonna open up our own hearts uh, towards those who right now have never experienced the gospel of Christ in power. And uh, so we we'll are gonna be talking about that next week. So make sure you do not miss it. And if you would like prayer, we have a few of our prayer team that are here today. If you've got like prayer, maybe you're in a position saying, I just need somebody to pray over me for a sickness, something going on in my family. We'll have the altars open. We would love to pray with you uh, this morning. So God bless you guys. Thank you so much. See you next week.